Hi, uh, I'm Jeremy Brock. It gives me huge pleasure to introduce one of the world's most original and vivid storytellers, the writer and director Bong Joon-ho. Winner of this year's Palm Door and the National Board of Review's Best Foreign Film for his exquisite movie, Parasite. He is also the writer and director of, among other films, Memories of Murder, Mother and Snowpiercer. Good evening, <laughs> thanks for coming. Yeah, it's a great honor to be here. And I can speak a, a little bit of English, but sh she's perfect, so it's, we have a great translator here, so. <laughs> uh, I hope I can speak Korean here, so. BAFTA uh, screenwriter. <laughs> I'm so honored to be invited to the BAFTA Screenwriters uh, Lecture Series. I've heard that not anyone can be up here, so it's a great honor. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of some of the other speakers that came here, like Almodovar and Noah Baumbach. Um, I'm just so honored and happy to be included amongst them. During the past 20 years, I've directed seven feature films, but I'm also, I also wrote all the screenplays for those works. So before I'm a director, I'm a screenwriter, and I have a lot of pride in that. So I would like to use this time to really discuss the art of screenwriting. I'm sure a lot of you here are screenwriters, filmmakers, and people who work in the industry. And um, you know, he earlier mentioned the awards and the campaign, um, but I would really like to focus on screenwriting for this occasion. So on our way here, there was a lot of traffic, and I know there's always a lot of traffic in London, but the city has always been such a big inspiration for me. It has given me such good energy over the years. Yesterday, I met a friend here, and we passed by Covent Garden. Whenever I pass Covent Garden, I always think of Hitchcock. So, yeah, one of my most favorite scenes of Alfred Hitchcock movies, his quite later movie, 1972, Frenzy. Frenzy. Yeah, so that, in, you know, the very famous, that second murder sequence, yeah, and after horrible thing happened inside the room, and camera very slowly, beautifully track back, crane movement to the outside, the, the street in the under the broad daylight. It's one of the most beautiful murder sequences in the movie history. And <laughs> so that's one of my favorite scenes, and Hitchcock said himself that a murder that happens, um, instead, rather than a murder that happens in the back alleyway under the rain, a murder that happens under broad daylight in the, uh, during the day is always more fascinating. And that's kind of been the motto of my career whenever I'm writing a script or shooting my film. I, that quote is always hovering inside my brain. You'll be able to understand what I say if you think about the opening scene of Memories of Murder or the climactic scene in Parasite. And I cannot not mention Whitechapel. <laughs> when I was writing a script of Memories of Murder, the, the movie story based on the real serial killer case in South Korea under the military dictatorship in the 1980s, at that time, I spent very hard time with the, the 
It's not easy to write a story based on true, uh, true cases, so it was, a, it was quite a struggle writing the script. So at the time, I was invited to the London Film Festival and had the opportunity to walk around Whitechapel. And my British friend gave me the graphic novel uh, From Hell by Alan Moore as a gift. So the, the graphic novel uh, provides a great portrayal of the times, not only about Jack the Ripper and the unsolved murders, but um, the surrounding environment when the murders happened. So it was a huge inspiration for me. And then afterwards, I returned to Korea and focused on writing my script. So even these days, I'm working on my next script. Um, despite how crazy the campaign schedule is, I've been trying to make time during flights and in my hotel to work on my next script. So after we enjoy this great conversation today, I hope to return to Korea and go uh, get over my writer's block and feel the freedom of being able to write. I hope London is always the city that helps me get over writer's block as it always has been. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So just listening to you, um, to you talk just now um, about Covent Garden and, uh, and Whitechapel, um, it struck me that in the near future, should the film career not work out for you, you could do a really great cinematic walking tour of murders all around <laughs> London. I think people would love it. I think I would make a great guide. <laughs> um, you were talking about the season at the moment, the awards season, which, which can be crazy, but in a normal working day, what's your perfect writing scenario? Are you an early morning person? Is it where the inspiration takes you? So I tend to go to bed early and wake up early. I wake up around 5.30 a.m. and start rummaging through the fridge. <laughs> and yeah, my town, nearby my home, there is a great, some great cafes. So I always write the, the screenplay in cafe or some coffee shop in the corner of, so, 아침 시간에 가면. So if I go to these coffee shops in the morning, it's very quiet, so I would usually write there. Have you always wanted to write? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's my job, and <laughs> So how early, but how early in your life did you decide mm -hmm. that you wanted to write? So it all started from um, drawing comics when I was five or six years old. I would make separate blocks and draw, but um, of course I would have to write the dialogue. And I know that your maternal grandfather, Park Tae-won, was uh, one of the highly regarded modernist writers. And I, I just wonder, in the family, was there an encouragement for you to, to work towards a more artistic, creative path? Uh. 우리 이제 저의 어머니의 아버지인데 외할아버지. 그분을 뭐 실제 뵌 So he's my grandfather on my mother's side, but I never actually met him because during the Korean War he actually went up to North Korea and our family was separated. It was impossible for North Koreans and South Koreans to communicate. So although I did hear that he was a famous writer and left many masterpieces before the Korean War, I never had a lot of opportunities to read his works when I was young and my family didn't really talk about him. 
그거에 대해서 별로 가족들도 얘기를 안 하는 분위기였죠. 예. 어떤 이 예. Actually, it was yeah. I was born in 1969. Yeah, so in 1970s, it's a very harsh military dictatorship under the yeah, that the regime. So it means the whole the society is super conservative and very super anti-communism kind of mentality the society has. So yeah, go. 유명한. So although he was a famous writer, be, um, because he went up to North Korea, it was difficult to talk about him considering the conservative atmosphere. Um, it was difficult for a family to gather and really bring him up. But my father was a graphic designer, so at home he often drew illustrations. So rather than novels, I focused on drawing and drawing comics. Um, my grandfather, he felt very distant, sort of like a man um, in a legend. So you're, you're, you have this interest in, in comics. At what point? Did you start to take writing seriously? Were you, were you coming up with ideas? Because I know you didn't study film initially, um, but when, when did that bug, the desire to write for film, come about? So there are a couple of moments throughout my life. Um, some are films that I watched when I was little that shocked me a lot, stories that reached me. Um, I would like to talk about it according to um, when I accessed them throughout the years. When I saw Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho very first time in Korean television, at that time I was eight years old, and... <laughs> this explains a lot. <laughs> and I watched Henri Georges Clouseau's Wages of Fear when I was nine years old, and I remember being completely overwhelmed by that film. And also John Schlesinger's Marathon Man, written by William Goldman. I saw that film when I was 11, and just remember my palms sweating. So when I was in elementary school, I went through so much cinematic trauma uh, because these are very horrific films. And I was very naturally, I was so curious about who all made this behind the camera, the director, and, the who, and also who wrote the story. And I was so curious about it. And I, and I started delving deep into the art of it. So let's jump forward 20 years and uh, in college, you'd made a couple of short films. And then you came out, and in 1997, Motel Cactus, which you wrote, but wasn't directed by you, came out. And then two years later, Phantom the Submarine came out. And I, I was reminded of a line by Billy Wilder where he talked about watching his screenplay filmed by other people. And it made him realize that if he was ever going to see his film on the screen, his screenplay film correctly, he would have to direct it. Was that a similar instance for you? For example, <coughs> sorry, you, you just mentioned the Phantom, the submarine. Uh, it's a quite strange, the submarine movie. And um, I wrote it to make a living. It was purely for my livelihood. <laughs> I have one son and he was a little baby at that time. So by writing that script, I was able to afford hundreds, hundreds of bottles of milk. <laughs> it, it, it's not a bad movie, but a movie is slightly cheesy and very uh, macho. It was a very macho movie. 
But it was a great experience because it allowed me to practice having mastery over the entire structure of a feature film. But it def I definitely didn't project my own mentality and vision into that project because it was given to another director and producer to actualize. Um, so while writing it, I had to maintain a certain level of distance between myself and the script. I would be the one writing, but I would be like, oh, wow, how funny, what a scene to watch. Wow, how cheesy these sequences. <laughs> and I myself, right? But I realized that if I continue working like that, I would become schizophrenic, so I should stop, although it is very important to maintain a livelihood. So um, the main body of, of the conversation that I want us to have is about these seven films. And I'm going to jump around them, not just go chronologically. And I thought it would be good to start most recently in the present um, with Parasite. And I am under very, very strict orders that I can talk no more than the first 25, 30 minutes of a film, just in case there's anyone in the audience who hasn't seen Parasite. Um, each character is so distinct and defined very quickly within this film. I, I, I'm curious about the creation process with this. Alongside writing the storyline, did you, did you have some notes of, of what each character would be and how they were defined, or did that just come out naturally of the writing of the screenplay? So I don't really separate the characters from the plot or the situation and come up with years worth of background story for each character. I'm, I tend to jump very quickly into the situations. I really think of the surface actions um, and situations that happen within a story. And then meanwhile, I continue thinking about, well, then who are these characters? Um, so I first really focus on the actions that they would um, do in this, in this story. Um, I'm not saying that that's the best method to write. I always believe that um, the specific actions are the most important part of a character, and I don't always believe that actions are consistent. Of course, if I become too focused on that idea, it comes with the risk of the characters becoming in inconsistent, but I'm not really afraid of that when I'm writing. And with peripheral characters, sometimes we see characters that appear in one scene, walk through a scene, other characters kind of return, such as the drunken man. Um, again, is, is, do those characters come out of the creation of the main characters that you're writing and in reaction mm -hmm. to how they may respond? So unless it's a film like Castaway where you have Tom Hanks on an isolated island by himself, I think all characters are developed through interactions with one another. So, and because particularly with Parasite, because the entire narrative is developed through this one unit of family, um, if you look at everyone's actions and the way they treat each other, the things that they say to each other, it becomes very easy to understand their individual personality. So even with that one uh, drunk man on the streets, you, uh, the four different family members all have different attitudes towards that one character. So these characters are developed through the filter of these peripheral characters. We see the photo of the mother as an athlete and an award on the wall. And it really, if we're going back to Hitchcock, it reminded me of the opening of Rear Window, where we have two and a half minutes of music, no dialogue, and we know everything we need to know about James Stewart's character. And that, every time I watch this film, that's a detail that stays with me. Who was this person? How did she end up here? What was the path that she wanted to take in her life? And it's one single split second shot. 
It's so important. 그뭐 I don't think that scene, you know, tries to explain in detail what the, this character went through. What you see is that she used to be an athlete and she had a very muscular figure and then you cut to her in the present state where she's in this really dingy house just crouched down on the floor and I think that contrast itself was very interesting and hopeful. 이제 So I can't go into detail about the second half of this film for people who haven't watched it yet, but later in the film her physical strength really comes into play although it's this is not an action film so i think it, it was important to establish that in the beginning of this film and also it was important in establishing her relationship with her husband because the protagonist's father he's unemployed he's kind of pathetic as a character and even physically he's much overpowered by his wife you know he fears her strength within their relationship so um, this was to briefly establish just how strong this woman is. I think the fact that this medal is within a frame, um, you know, tells, says a lot on its own um, because there was a time when everything worked out for her when she was winning all these awards, but um, it's all framed within the past. Her present is, you know, she's in this um, pathetic stage in her life, and I think just the fact that this medal is in that frame delivered that sense. I want to stay with openings, um, but jump back to 2000 and the opening sequence, much shorter sequence from your first film as writer-director, Barking Dogs Never Bite. Um, in this sequence, Yunju, the main actor, is talking to someone on the phone who's just berated him for not applying to become a professor at his college. And the conversation is interrupted by... Um, something outside the flat. Yeah, it's very stupid to see your puppy killing movies. I'm so okay, sorry Okay, but what it, I love but... about it, um, <laughs> I, I remember Michael Haneke uh, seeing him speak, talking about screenwriting, and he says that he'll, if he has an idea, he'll keep it. If he gets another idea that's similar, he'll put it next to it. And if he gets a third idea, then he thinks he's got something. This has so many different ideas going in it. I'm just curious about the course of your career as a writer. Um, and, and director, um, do, you, do you have a process by which you draw these ideas together and you know it's a good idea and you know it's something that would make a screenplay? So I don't know how I can really generalize my process over the past seven features, but there have always been specific moments of inspiration and motivation. So for Barking Dogs Never Bite, when I was in elementary school, I once went up to the rooftop of a very luxurious apartment complex and I saw the, a dead dog. And the dog was a little bit burnt. And to see that, it was so shocking and it was quite a traumatic memory. And I remember at the time, I thought of who would do such a thing. And I started creating stories of who might have done this. And so later on, when I was working, uh, trying to create my first feature, I recalled some of those memories to come up with the story. And that apartment that you see in this film, it's actually the place I lived in when I was a newlywed with my wife. So it, it carries a lot of details from my own daily life, um, particularly with the recycling scenes. And at the time, my brother had finished his PhD and was really struggling to get a job as a professor. So it was quite similar to the main protagonist of this film. So if you combine the three elements that I just mentioned, the movie's already begun.
which in a way um, we jump forward to Parasite and I heard you saying that the part of the inspiration for that film was um, going to work for a very wealthy family. I'm wondering what it would be like if you could get other people to work for them. Uh, so it's quite common for college students to, you know, have tutoring jobs. And when I was in college, I tutored uh, for a very rich family. I taught a middle school boy, and one day he took me to their private sauna on the second floor in their house. And you know, inevitably, I got to witness their private space, and I felt like I was peeping into the private lives of complete strangers. And and I felt a sense of guilty pleasure from that. I knew it was wrong, but I was continuing to get curious. So those. Those memories are very vivid. It's it's quite similar to the first opening scenes of Parasite. And the person who introduced me to that tutoring job was actually my girlfriend at the time. She was already teaching um, Korean to that middle school boy, and he needed a math tutor. And so she brought me on as a math tutor, and that's how I came to uh, work for that family. And that girlfriend is now my wife. So it's quite similar to the beginnings of Parasite. <laughs> And you know, it all ended there. It wasn't as if I infiltrated into that family further and brought in five people into the house. Um, but those memories were very helpful when I was writing the script. So if I were to take four of your films, Barking Dogs Never Bite, um, Memories of Murder, Mother, and Parasite, I would see one aspect of a filmmaker and think I had a good idea of his work. But there are three other films that don't jar but against the other four, but, but just expand the range of your work so much. Um, speculative fiction, I'd argue, more than, than straightforward science fiction, which started in 2006 with The Host, which was a huge breakout hit. Looking at genre as a writer, I always think is a fascinating thing, and I think there are very few writers who deal with genre as brilliantly and as challengingly as you do. Usually in a monster film, monsters kill people or, you know, they eat up people. But in this, you have the monster tying the girl up with his tail and taking her along with him. And this is a decisive moment in the plot that makes this film quite different from normal um, monster movies. The host has the appearance of a monster movie, but it's actually a kidnap movie. And the kidnapper is the monster here. And the entire plot is essentially about this father trying to save his daughter. And 10 minutes after the scene, you know, the father receives a phone call from the daughter that he presumed dead, and that's when the plot really begins. It is interesting you say that on one level it's a monster movie, then it becomes a kidnap movie. Uh, to watch Memories of Murder, you would think uh, straight away that this is a police procedural film. Um, and I will say, anyone who hasn't seen it, watch that and then watch David Fincher's Zodiac, which is a couple of years later, and he must have watched that film <laughs> to make Zodiac. But what's interesting about it is it doesn't become just a police procedural. It, it, there's humour in there, but it's, it's more the character study of, of the cops themselves. You've made three films that some people might call sci-fi, this film, Snowpiercer and Oakcha but each of them seems to jump around within genres. I, I'm just curious, the, the idea of genre filmmaking, and particularly speculative fiction, something, an alternate reality, does that, does that give you a platform to be able to explore things that you might not otherwise 
be able to explore in perhaps a contemporary environment. 그렇죠. 그 장르라는 것이 이제 뭐그 나름의 규칙이 있고. So, um, you know, although there are rules and these conventions to genre, by relying on those um, genre elements, I think you can more easily and quickly get to the uh, realities of our world and the essence of what it means to be human. And I think that's why science fiction is so appealing. So for Snowpiercer, I try to be quite faithful to the genre of science fiction, but on the other hand, for the host and memories of murder, I kind of wanted to insult the genre conventions. By bringing these Western genre conventions into a Korean narrative, I wanted to break those conventions and get to the, um, the pleasure of destroying them. So the, these genre conventions that we commonly know of were established um, mid-20th century in the U.S. But if you bring those genre, American genre conventions to Korean reality where I was born and raised, the conventions start to malfunction. So as I break these genre conventions, um, the narrative starts to have these cracks. And through those cracks, the realities of Korea begin to seep in. And that's why you have the strange mixture of humor and fractures. Um, and with Memories of Murder, from the very beginning, you are introduced to the detective character on a tractor. They barely have proper police lines set up. The crime scene is a mess. So from that moment, it's quite different. It's quite different from the Hollywood thriller films that you would normally see. And also in The Host, it's a monster movie, monster genre, but the, the, the main protagonist, the, the main characters, they are very, uh, very malfunctional family and the, the, all the losers, and there is no scientist, no, you don't get any generals, you don't get any scientists, you don't get any of those great heroes. It's actually just this pathetic family struggling to um, save the, the daughter. And also the monster film, the genre convention, we have to wait, generally we have to wait almost one hour to see the, the, the tail of the monster or the food of the monster. And, at the time, I really hated it, those kind of conventions. So I, I showed the whole shape, whole body of a monster under the broad daylight in, in the just... So 13 minutes into the film, you get to see the entirety of the monster under broad daylight. And I was quite stubborn in that. I really wanted to destroy these genre conventions. And also part of the reason was I had so much to tell um, aside from the monster. After you see the monster, there's so much to tell about the story and the society and system that couldn't protect or support that family and also political satire on the U.S. Um, so I just had a lot of stories to tell um, after the monster was introduced and that's why it was important to show the monster in the beginning part of this film. What's also interesting, that if we look from um, this film and you look at Parasite and you look at the, the working class element of, of Snowpiercer um, and Okja as well, it, it is in many ways the Anna Karenina principles, the opening line of Tolstoy's novel that um, all happy families are alike and each unhappy family is unhappy in their own way. What's amazing is that your families are happy the circumstances they're in are very unhappy. But in Parasite, this family gets on. Hmm. And I, I find it really fascinating that the dynamic between the family is not, if you would watch an American melodrama, it's the dynamic within the family of who doesn't like whom. 
They are really close-knit. They are very, very happy. It's, it's what's happening outside that world that is very turbulent. So with the host and parasite, you know, the family, they love to mess with each other and they always complain, but they get along really well. They always eat together and hang out together. In Korean, the word family is comprised of two Chinese characters that mean to eat and mouth. And so I think my families in these stories really represent that aspect of family. And although these families are, um, get along really well, it's not as if you're watching a Disney movie where they're crying and confessing their love to each other. Um, I've got two other areas I, I want to cover before we open the floor to the audience. I've read that you've talked about your fascination with the stairs in the Bates house in Psycho. Um, so, so beautiful, yeah, yeah. And then looking at your work, and it struck me, and I'm, again, I know this is heavily ingrained in your writing. Corridors, subways, basements, tunnels, um, steps going down to basements, any which way that the frame can be cut or divided. It's, it's, it's really fascinating, your mise-en-scene, the way that you create these worlds. I think I like feeling claustrophobic. Um, I think narrow and suffocating spaces give a certain element of cinematic vitality. And particularly, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with basements. Um, my films always feature basements. <laughs> In Psycho as well, the basement is very important. Who hasn't watched Psycho here? Uh, spoiling. <laughs> spoiling. <laughs> so this is a spoiler, I assume I can say it, but he's actually carrying his dead mother in the hallway. And all of that secret is revealed in the basement. And it feels quite strange to think of a time 40 years ago when you could watch this film for the first time without knowing what happens. And it's a moment that you can never get back. And that moment when Martin Barsami is, uh, you know, going up the stairs and the camera moves in a very uncanny way and the carpet on the floor is out of focus, I think that's such a beautiful sequence. And that overhead shot is not only visually shocking, but it actually tells the story. You know, it's Anthony Perkins uh, in a wig, it's not the dead mother, and by having that overhead shot, you don't see his face. And because Anthony Perkins is pretending to be his mother in that wig, it, that wouldn't be possible to show from a normal eye-level angle. And so by having that overhead shot, you, you don't know that it's Anthony Perkins in that disguise. And so at that moment, the camera position becomes the most functional and the most beautiful. What's also interesting about that is, and, and about Hitchcock's work in relation to yours, is precision. If you watch Parasite, whether you're being taken on a tour of one family's poor dwellings or whether we're visiting the wealthy family, we have a complete sense of space, of where we are. But not only that, the language helps us with that as well. What it struck me you, you've done with Parasite is you've created people talking over each other in this one environment, and the other environment is, is almost as geometrically perfect in dialogue as it is in the space that the people are speaking in. 
For Parasite, you know, 60% of the story happens in that rich house, and that space becomes more and more important as the film progresses. So, you know, the first half of this film, you're introduced to all these characters, and you get to see this process of infiltration, you hear a lot of dialogue, but actually that first hour really educates the audience on the structure of the rich house, um, because only after you have a full understanding, a full three-dimensional understanding of the structure of the rich house can the story really um, you know rage on in the second half. 시간을 복주할 수 있는 거거든요. 영화 구조 자체가. 그러니까 우리 주인공 젊은 아들내미가 이제 처음 과외하러 그 집에 도착했을 때 when the son, the young protagonist, arrives to the rich house, he awes at how beautiful and big the house is, and he's like, wow, what a pretty garden. And you have the housekeeper saying, it's nice inside too. And that line is very funny and it carries a lot of connotations um, because like Psy Hitchcock's Psycho, in that beautiful house, you have so many horrific secrets and events unfolding. Right, I've got loads more questions, but we have to open the floor to any questions or comments. And we've got some roving mics, um, so one hand shot up there. Uh, there's a microphone being run down to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> um, and for your beautiful film, which I've seen twice now, Parasite, this year. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to say it was interesting today how you said that you were traumatized as a child by these fantastic films. Um, and we're living in very dark political times now. You were living in a dark political time as a child as well in Korea. Um, how much uh, are you traumatized by the real world? And how much do you um, feel that showing this trauma on... on um, on the big screen allows us to escape from the trauma. 그 사회나 이제 제가 살고 있는 시대 자체에 대한 So I have a lot of fears about our current society and the times that we live in. I have a 23-year-old son and I think you know we all hope that things improve in their generation, but I have a lot of fear that nothing will actually improve for him. 그 but I think in order to face our fears and fight against them, we need an opponent. Uh, there should be a clear enemy that we can define or some target where we know if we destroy that target, our lives and you know our society will get better. But it's never easy to identify these opponents and targets. I think we live in a very complicated time where it's hard to discern what we have to do to improve our situations. So in Parasite, the young son is, you know, in similar age to my my own son, and in the um, ending of this film, he announces that he will purchase the rich house, and the visuals look very hopeful and bright. But that's why you feel even sadder because this boy is talking about a hope that is impossible to actualize. I think a lot of fear comes from watching that. 그게 되게 공포스럽고 슬프긴 하지만 So although it brings a lot of fear and sadness I really wanted to honestly portray my anxieties and fears through this film because I thought that was the honest portrayal of our current times. Take another question. Yeah, we've got a hand up on the aisle just behind. Thank you. Yeah, I'd like to ask you about the endings. Um, if you have clarity of 
what will be the ending of your stories when you start writing, and and also about the titles, what, what it comes first. So this is a common pro process for me, but I always let my ideas percolate and I develop them within my head for around three to four years. Um, the actual time I spend writing the script with the computer is usually four to six months. And so for Parasite, I spent four months actually writing the script and I wrote around 90% of the script within those four months. So of the montage that you saw earlier, you saw scenes from my previous film, Mother. And for Mother, I always had the last image and last scene in mind. From the very beginning, even five, six years before I completed the script, I knew how this film would end. Um, and I had the ending even when I only had a page-long, very short synopsis of this film. So while I was writing the script, the ending never changed. And it felt like I was writing this entire script so that this story could end with that um, ending I had in mind. But Parasite was completely different. I had no idea what would happen um, as I was writing. Um, oftentimes, while writing the script within those four months, I didn't know what would happen 10 page after. So the first half of the film, where you have this poor family infiltrating the rich house, I had that idea from the very beginning and developed it for three to four years. But I didn't know what would happen after the family infiltrates the house. Um, I can't go into detail right now, but at one point in the film, on a very rainy night, you hear a doorbell ringing and everything um, shifts upside down within the story. And so the second half of the film um, all came to me in the three to four months I spent writing. But I really enjoyed those four months. Usually when I write, I'm in a lot of pain. I become very masochistic. But for Parasite, I, was, I felt very peaceful. I really enjoyed this very focused process of just writing and creating. And do, do you write various drafts of a screenplay or do you work on the screenplay as you go along uh, sort of correcting and amending? So with Parasite, I didn't have a lot of drafts. Um, we began pre-production with version 2.2, so it was my second draft with very minor adjustments. So in the film, there's a scene in the gym where the father covers his eyes and talks about how the best plan is no plan. And I think that's the, the part that I added at the very last moments. It's quite a long monologue, and that's how the version became 2.2. And so I draw all my storyboards myself. So during my storyboarding process, I would change dialogue and polish up lines. I do all of that myself. And even during post-production, when we're recording ADR, I would give the actors new dialogue or revise some of it. So only after post-production is complete do I feel like my script is finished. And before we go to a question there, um, I believe the second question was about the titles, how you pick your titles. Uh, <laughs> 그, 저기, uh, 
So the marketing team actually hated this title. Also, the marketing team thought that the title was so risky. So I was like, okay, I am open to new ideas, come up with new ideas. So they spent months trying to think of something and later on called me and were like, let's just go with Parasite. But I did, you know, explain to them that this film isn't just trying to make a statement that the poor family are parasites. It can never be that simple. The rich family are parasites. I myself am a parasite. So I had to give them a couple reasons on why this title was perfect. So if you look at this film, the rich family are um, parasites as well because they rely on the labor that the poor family provides. They're leeching off of the poor family in terms of the labor. They can't wash dishes on their own, they can't drive themselves. In that sense, they're all parasites, and I think that's quite obvious once you watch the film. Yep, we'll take last question there. Uh, thank you, I really loved uh, Parasite. Um, in your writing process, what you described is as you write, it feels as if the story is telling itself at times. What I want to know about is, are there any moments when you feel like you have to engineer the story? Um, I'm trying to write, and there are moments when I feel like it's flowing, but there are moments when I really feel like I have to be clever about it and actually make it work between sequences that absolutely flow together and sequences that have a gap between them. Good. So you must be a screenwriter, um, because I think as we're writing, particularly towards the end, it becomes something that you can't really control. It becomes a small universe that rolls on its own. It's kind of like a little puppy where you let go of the leash and the puppy's running away and you just have to follow. But I, I feel very happy when that happens because I've already established the causality among the characters and the plot. Um, I've set in all the gears, and once the gear starts rolling, it's like a Swiss watch that just rolls on its own, and that makes me feel very comfortable. And you know, towards the end, all I have to do is add in a couple parts um, to make everything work, and I think that's the point when I feel very satisfied. <laughs> 라고 느껴지는 그 시점이 오늘 때 되게 참 기분이 좋은 것 같아요. Um, unfortunately, we are going to have to draw this to a close. But before we do, um, earlier in his introduction, uh, Jeremy mentioned um, the organisations who brought all this together and and how important they were for this, from JJ Tar Charitable Trust through to BAFTA themselves and and also Curzon for hosting this event. I will say this is the tenth year. And this kind of thing cannot happen without the vision of someone who understands the very idea of what screenwriting is. And that is Jeremy, who himself is an absolutely brilliant screenwriter. So thank you so much to Jeremy Brock for being the mastermind behind this. Um, also, I, I know they'll kill me for naming them, um, but these things also don't happen without a group of people who are, who are incredibly dedicated uh, for bringing these events together. So a very big thank you to Maria, to Cassandra, to Julia, and to Palumi at BAFTA, who are the people who make sure that you come here and you have something like this as fluid and as wonderful as it is. So thank you also to you guys. Thank you very much to Sharon for your translation. Um,
But most of all, can you please join me in thanking the brilliant Bong Joon-ho. Thank you so much. Thank you.